0: Over the years, a number of um, non-believers, when they've come to me, have said, you know, "Isn't Christianity a crutch? It's just there for those people who can't get by." I don't know if any of you have been asked asked that question. My answer to that question is yes. Period. If you think about it, why is it so offensive that Christianity should be a crutch? When you look at a crutch, you don't think. That's a bad thing. Why use a crutch? It's a bad thing. But yet, what is it about Christianity that makes it that people don't want that crutch? And I think the answer is because to use a crutch, you have to be crippled. It says something about yourself. It's an offense to our self-reliance, to our ability to trust in ourselves, to say that we need a crutch to get by. The world says the message that joy and fulfillment, real joy, is found in self-esteem, self-determination, self, 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 all those words. Any Messiah that comes along saying that one needs a crutch doesn't fall into the picture. Anyone who comes along saying that instead of self-reliance, it's about awesome God-reliance. Instead of self-confidence, it's about submissive God-reliance confidence, instead of self-determination, it's about God's amazing grace, instead of self-esteem, it's about our unworthiness in the eyes of the only worthy one. That religion of, of self-admiration doesn't like those kind of words. And those, the religion of self-admiration has been around since Adam and Eve, when they looked at the serpent and they thought, I can be as good as God. I can be God, be like God. And that is still around today. Jesus was the Messiah that came replacing all those things that people, the self-admiration, and threw those out the window. He came saying, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So what it means that if you go to Jesus, it means you're sick you morally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is. You're sick. You need a crutch. And because of that, Christ is a stumbling block to so many, even to ourselves sometimes, because it takes the whole thing of self-reliance and throws it out the window. Jesus took that thing we hate most, helplessness, and instead of curing it in us, he saw it as a staircase to heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And those were the words that started the gospel reading. And we're continuing to look at Matthew. And Jesus was giving him a sermon on the mount. And this is from Matthew 5 to 7, if, you, if you're reading it. Awesome one. Powerful words. He spoke to thousands of people on the mountainside. And he threw out the window everything they believed about themselves, all their self-righteousness, their self-worth. He said, if you've been angry... That's like murder. You're in danger of hell. If you've looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. If you have more than the person next to you, give what you have away. Any self-worth or self-righteousness was just crushed in, in the heroes that were listening, the people that were listening that saw themselves as heroes in their own eyes. And that whole sermon starts with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does it mean? Over the last couple of weeks, I've asked some people within the church and in other different churches. When running, I've had conversations with people saying, what does it mean, poor in spirit? And I've had a wide array of answers, but I haven't had one correct answer yet. So maybe a good starting point is to say, what does it mean? And I want to start with what it doesn't mean, some of the answers I got. the First, it, it doesn't mean to be financially poor. Often the two are closely aligned, but it doesn't mean, to be poor in spirit doesn't mean to be financially poor. It doesn't mean to be weak in your faith, so you don't read the Bible well enough or you don't pray enough for, whatever it is, you are weak in your faith, you are poor in spirit. It doesn't mean thinking poorly of yourself. It doesn't mean any of those things. Let's have a, have a look at what it does mean. So, the first thing I want to talk to is the word blessed. And that is so important to realize because often we say, oh, blessed. You know, in the future tense when they die, they're going to be rewarded by God and they're going to be blessed. It's not about that. It is The word blessed is a current word meaning, oh, the joy, the absolute delight, the happiness. Happiness comes from the root word of chance. This doesn't come from that. It comes from divine, enduring joy. Oh, the joy of those who are poor in spirit. It already it's starting to sound quite challenging. And the word poor, there are two Greek words for poor. The first is penes, and the next is tokos. Penes means struggling to get by, not really having enough. The word tokos means being absolutely bankrupt, being destitute, having nothing, nothing, nothing. That is the word that Jesus uses here. Oh, the joy of those who are absolutely bankrupt. And it's bankrupt in spirit. Those who are spiritually bankrupt. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And it's a current word. It's the present tense. It's not saying in the future. Theirs is the kingdom of God today. What does that mean? It means that being poor in spirit, it's about our spiritual bankruptcy. It's about being broken over our sin. Not because we've been found out not because we have to bear the consequences of our sin, but because we see ourselves compared to the God of heaven and we see the huge gap there is and the hurt we have caused through our sin. You know, the next, beatitude attitude is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, a lot of people talk about that as, if someone's died, you will be comforted. But actually, what it's meaning there is blessed are those who mourn for their sins, for they will be comforted. The two are closely aligned to realize the depth of our sin. That we are, are totally unworthy before God and totally dependent on Him. Maybe just a, a, a raw example that I want to give um, of what it means to be poor in spirit. There were a few ministers and they were discussing the best way to pray. And the first minister said, No, you must pray like this. We do that at the 9 o'clock service. We pray like that. And maybe there was a, someone, um, maybe it was a member of St. Margaret's, from the 7 o'clock service. And, and they said, no, no, you must pray. Pray like this with your head bowed, and you must pray. Then another one said, no, 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 you must pray on your knees. That's the way to pray. And one said, no, no, prostrate before God. That is the way. And they had this big debate. And there was an electrician at the back of, back of the church, and he stood up and he said, you know, I've found the best way to pray is when I'm hanging upside down and there's a live electric wire running between my legs. Yeah, it may seem a strange analogy with poor in spirit, but it's when we realize our utter dependence on God. There's this live wire between our legs, and we can't make it without God. The reality is that everyone is poor in spirit. Whether they realize it or not, everyone, Scripture says, has fallen short of the glory of God, is not worthy. But not everyone acknowledges it. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who acknowledge it. You know, we've all got our smelly socks, and one person may be saying, your socks are smellier than mine, holding them up as an offering that is somehow worthy because the next-door neighbor's socks are smellier. But they're all smelly socks. And how important it is for us to realize that. You know, when we realize our need of God, our dependence on Him, it drives us into the arms of God and then we realize the kingdom of God and what it's about. It's a message of salvation. Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourself. Not by works so that no one can boast. I and mean, that's what makes Christianity different from every, every, every other religion that I know of. That it's not about us. It's about total dependence on God. It's about realizing that live wire between your legs And you need the Lord. Blessed are those who know this reality for the kingdom of God is theirs. The challenging thing is that the opposite is spoken of in scripture very clearly. That those who are self-reliant, who are
1: self-righteous,
0: who are proud, they're doomed. There is no one who sees themselves as healthy in the kingdom of God. But how do we have this in our lives? You know, it's quite difficult because the world is all about self-reliance. You know, you have a problem with medically, many of us have medical aid, you go to medical aid. You have a problem, your car gets stolen, hopefully you're insured well so you can get a, you can replace the car that you needed to. You, if you have a stressful day at work, you come home, you switch on the box to escape or you switch on the, if it's Brad, it might be the Xbox if it's, um, someone else that might be Facebook and getting onto Facebook. Different things. We have all these things in our life that we are surrounded with. What does it mean? What does it mean practically to be poor in spirit? You know, when you're retrenched, what does it mean? What does it mean when you're on the phone for half an hour with some annoying service provider and they're just not helping you? What does it mean to be poor in spirit when you just want to scream down the phone? What does it mean when you're falsely accused? Or when someone has promised you things and they just stab you in the back? What does it mean when you're driving down the road and there's this fleet of cars, you know, those black four-by-fours with the blue lights flashing and you've got to move out the way? I don't know if any of you have had that experience. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? The hard thing is, they're not the answers in here directly. When this happens, this is what you must do. When this happens, do that. But God gives us lives of people to look at. Because, you know, if, if we had the solution, we'd be self-reliant again. Okay, we can fix it. We can, be, we can be poor in spirit. But God shows us pictures of lives and holds those up and then challenges us to look at our lives. And I want to look in the final part of the message this morning at Isaiah. We had that reading from Isaiah. And I want to see three things from his life that I think speak into ours. Because I, I believe it's on hearts here this morning, to be poor in spirit, but just find it difficult. And this was when Isaiah was being commissioned to be a prophet of God. Um, And what happened first was we see that Isaiah saw the king, the king almighty. He saw King Isaiah, but he saw King Almighty. In the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And then what does it say later? Woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. He goes on to say, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Everything changed when he saw the Lord Almighty. You know, you read of Job, and through the whole of Job, he's talking about God, he's witnessing to God. But at the end, he says, My ears had heard of you. He's talking to God. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, we may try as hard as we, we can to be poor in spirit and do all these humble things, but it's as we see God that everything in us is changed. As we see God that we naturally are poor in spirit. There was an old rabbi who said, In the olden days there were men who saw the face of God and the young student says, Why don't they see him anymore? And the rabbi answered, Because nowadays no one stoops so low. And that challenge for us, are we, in lowering ourselves, we will see God when we're ready to put ourselves to the side, to see the almighty God of the universe. The second thing with Isaiah is that he saw himself in the context of the king. You know, pride compares yourself to other people. I was talking about those smelly socks. But poor in spirit compares ourselves to God and his standards. And like Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am a sinner. I've got unclean lips. And see, Isaiah saw his unworthiness before God. You know, the interesting thing is God never corrected Isaiah. He didn't say, no, no, you're doing okay. He didn't correct Paul when Paul said, I'm the greatest of sinners. Paul, that mighty man. He didn't correct the centurion who said, Lord, you're not worthy to come into my house. He didn't even correct the Canaanite woman who said, I'm like a dog that's eating the crumbs from the table. He didn't say, no, no, you're so much more. He didn't do that. The biblical solution for being paralyzed by lack of self-esteem is not to pump self-esteem into that person. In Isaiah 41, God says, Do not be afraid, O worm, Jacob, for I myself will help you. Those are pretty strong words. Do not be afraid, O oh, worm, Mandy, for I will help you. God doesn't say, stop putting yourself down. Lift yourself up. He says, stop looking at yourself. Looking at yourself to meet everything. Look to me. Look at my strength. Look at my provision in your life. I was at a, a preschool um, meeting. You know, they have those parents' evenings. And I've done a lot in my time. And um, the, the principal was staying up, standing up, saying some really good things about um, self-esteem and the way they're building self-esteem in the children. And I had a good chuckle because I could imagine her standing up there and saying, you know, we're teaching your children every day they are worms, but they must look to God for his trust. It doesn't happen. It's just so, so foreign. But we look at what we feed in. Do we feed into our children self-esteem or God-esteem? Because if it's on self, we can never meet we, are, we can never be an end in ourselves. It's only when God is the end in himself that everything can be accomplished. We need to take that crutch. The answer to low self-esteem is not high self-esteem, but sovereign grace, the grace of God in our lives. God doesn't mobilize us by saying, you're a beautiful butterfly, you're not the worm. He looks at us and says, look at me. Look at me. I am so much more. Look who I am to you. And that leads on to the third point, is that Isaiah, he saw God. He saw his sinfulness in the face of God. But he didn't stay there. Sometimes people think to be poor in spirit, to be humble is like, okay, I'm not worthy, I I must just stay in the background, I must be in the the last row, not saying anything to those, but I I must be the server, I must do all those things. And those things are good when God calls. But, his word is. What happened to Isaiah? Isaiah felt the change when the the coal touched his lips and he was he was cleansed from his sin, his guilt was removed, and God said, Who will go for me? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. As we see God, as we see ourselves in his life, there's a sending. And that is so important that Isaiah didn't he knew woe is me, but he was going out. Not in his own strength. He was going out in the glory of God. He was going out in the wisdom of God. You know, so often we see the limitations of our our own selves. But when we go out in God, there are no limitations to his strength in us. You contrast that with Moses. You know, Moses, when God called him to take, to go to Pharaoh, he said, I can't speak well. I stutter. I'm slow of speech. What happened? God got angry with him. God said, who made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with you. I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. That's not poor in spirit. He may be, Moses was humble in his own abilities there. But he wasn't recognizing the greatness of God's abilities in him. So My prayer is that we will find strength and meaning not in trying to boost our self-esteem the pleasures of self-esteem, but we'll find it in the power of sovereign grace. That, that we'll see God the King, see His might. And, you know, as we do, we just see how far we fall short. We see our own brokenness and our own worthlessness. <laughs> but we know we have a Savior, and then we can live in that power. We can live in that sovereign grace. And God sends us out to do mightier things that we could do in our own strength. He calls us and equips us and sends us out. But we need to start with leaning our weight on that crutch. How joyful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Let's just have a moment quiet and let God speak into your heart the words he wants to speak, the message he wants to give to you this morning. God, when we look on you, we see your glory and your grace. We see your all-sufficiency, and we see our, yeah, our brokenness, the meaningless offerings that we, we come with, our, our pride and, and things that just get in the way, our, our depending on ourself, our self-confidence, self-determination, all those things, when you're standing there in all your power, ready to equip us, ready to send us out, God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we look, feast our eyes on you, that we we live in your kingdom, that we live poor in spirit, that we may live in that joy and that all-sufficiency of your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.